0: All right, so this morning we are continuing our lesson on the Holy Spirit. Uh, so on your notes, uh, we are in lesson 19, so we are getting to like the very, uh, the very end. So we have, uh, we have come a long ways, you could say. Uh, so I'm going to be wrapping up our ch- uh, chapter 9 on the spirit and the body. Then Pastor Des has got um, the next two weeks regarding um, spiritual gifts and the Holy Spirit, and then I'm going to wrap up with uh, one on the uh, the Spirit and uh, the future, and what we think about with the new heavens and new earth. So, uh, so with that, um, if you remember from last week, I wanted to just take a, a minute and just try to put together the last two weeks and where we are uh, today. So two weeks ago, we were thinking about Um, the baptism of the Spirit, right? We we looked at that, uh, we looked at, okay, what does that mean to be baptized with the Spirit? And we said that it was another way of describing our union with Christ through the Holy Spirit and by faith. And that uh, we looked at those seven texts uh, to show the baptism of the Spirit and the day of Pentecost and, and its relationship there. So then when we're thinking about that the Spirit uh, when we're baptized, that when Christ baptizes us with the Spirit, he brings us into the body of Christ, that we join his body. And then lastly, what we did, as we were specifically going to think about the Lord's Supper and baptism, specifically as a means of grace that the Spirit uses to encourage and nourish us, uh, we, 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 we paused for a Sunday school lesson and took a broader view and said, all right, well, let's take a look. What, what, does, what does some of the historical Baptist documents? We talked about uh, the, the Second London Confession of 1689, right? And we, and we looked at what, um, uh, what it said in there. And then we also looked at two Baptist catechisms. So remember, a confession, uh, I think, Brian, you had asked, uh, a confession was um, uh, pastors and churches putting together, here's what we believe, right? And then they list out all these different subjects of what they believe. And Then it became a common confession of, of, of what they believe and held together, and then a catechism was a question and answer to really like if you will like make practical for memory the theology of that confession and we looked at two of those we looked at the Orthodox catechism, and then we also looked at the Baptist catechism right to think about okay how, how should we think about the means of grace, right thinking about uh, the Word as it is read and preached, thinking about um, prayer, thinking about um, uh, the Lord's Supper and Baptism. So, um, from there, um, we then honed in on this idea or the use of the word sacrament, right? And seeing, uh, that it wasn't used in our confession or in the Baptist Catechism, but it was, but it was used, right, in Baptist writings around that time and also in the Orthodox Catechism. So we we went into that. Main takeaway was it is, uh, when we talked about sacrament, it is a visible word or a visible promise. So that was more the history, historical, systematic look. And now today we're really, the focus is to look at how baptism and the Lord's Supper are ways in which the Holy Spirit nourish and strengthen us and assure us in our faith. And I think that's really important, right? So, uh, so with that, <clears throat> what I wanted to do was, uh, in order to help show how God does things to strengthen our faith, uh, I, I wanted to use an example, right, to then draw it back to baptism in the Lord's Supper. So if you're familiar with the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 6, uh, it, it, it's laid out that God makes promises, right, right? And God is a promise-making God. But then on top of that, God swears with an oath to confirm those promises. Now think with me about that. Think with me about this phenomenon. Why would a God who always tells the truth, if he makes a promise, why would he swear an oath? Why would he, if you will, make a covenant? Why wouldn't it just be a promise? Right? And in Hebrews 6, It talks about it, that it was for us. It's for our weakness. It's so that we really, really, really know that God is faithful and is going to keep it, right? So he swears by himself. And so God does things to help us because we are weak, frail, and sinful creatures. And if there's any takeaway I want you to take away, right, from, from this lesson is knowing our sinful and weak state God uses uh, these means in order to strengthen and assure us. Uh, he does things where, if you will, He goes above and beyond in order for us to really know how we are loved by Him in the gospel. All right, so that was a quick addendum so so on your notes um, as we get started with our introduction so we talked about um, <clears throat> how the baptism and the Lord's Supper um, are, are significant for our growth in the Lord. And we read last week, and I'm just going to quote again, so I, I actually didn't bring it this week. Benjamin Bedome has a scriptural exposition of the Baptist Catechism. And when he's, uh, when he's referring to question 96 about uh, baptism in the Lord's Supper, he uh, he says, uh, How do baptism and the Lord's Supper become effectual means of salvation or effectual means of grace? He says, Are sacraments signs? Yes. Are they outward signs of spiritual and invisible blessings? Yes. Does baptism signify the work of regeneration or inward washing and new life wrought in us? Yes. And does the Lord's Supper signify the work of redemption wrought for us? Right? Christ's broken body and shed blood for our sins? Yes. And this is this is the one that I want us to just just think about for a moment. And are these outward signs useful to stir up inward affections? Yes. So these outward signs are useful to help stir up in our own heart, in our own life, grace as it as as, as faith is exercised. And the other thing that we notice in there is this idea of signs, right? Sign and thing signified. In fact, look with me on your notes. So we have the uh, an Orthodox catechism here, which was again was a was a Baptist catechism taking from the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, written like a uh, hundred or so years earlier, a, Re- a Reformed um, catechism. And in question sixty-five, it says, "What are the sacraments?" Answer. They are sacred signs and seals, and notice this, set before our eyes, and ordained of God for this purpose, that he may declare and confirm by them the promise of his gospel to us, to this, that he gives freely remission of sins and life everlasting to everyone in particular who believes in the sacrifice of Christ, which he accomplished once for all, upon the cross. So I want you to notice this. sign. If you want to you know, circle or underline, actually, I already underlined it for you, but signs and seals uh, that use our eyes. We made that contrast last week between listening with our ears and then something being made visible with our eyes. And it's designed for this purpose, to declare and confirm and assure us through these signs, through these signs seals of his promise to us. And Richard Barcellus, he gives a helpful analogy, thinking about, when we think about signs, what should we think about, right? So if you want, think about a road sign, right? And you're driving on the road, you're not in Orlando, and it says Orlando, 15 miles, right? Is that sign Orlando? No, right? It's a sign to Orlando. It's not the actual place. So In the same way, we have a sign and then we have the thing signified. The sign is not the thing signified, it's just pointing to it, right? It's got the resemblance and pointing to it. And then a seal, so right, we're thinking about sign and seal, thinking about baptism in the Lord's Supper as a sign and seal. A seal in the Bible is something that is placed on something else, right? And normally we think of this, whether it's uh, literal or figurative. And it is to confirm possession and authenticity. Uh, th- think a letter, right? That's put in an, in, in an envelope. And then you fold the envelope and then you take um, wax that's melted and you, you drip it on the envelope and then you take your seal and you press it. So that way you, the recipient knows who it's from and it's been authenticated, right? They, they know who it belonged to, right? And in the same way, that's what God does, right? God is making it clear to the recipient his seal. So how how should we think about baptism and the Lord's Supper as ways in which we grow and are nourished or, or that are uh, means or instruments that God uses to give grace to us and strengthen us? Well, um, last week we, we, we uh, had quoted... Um, an article from Steve Weaver where he talks about William Kiffin, who was one of those who helped uh, construct the Second London Confession of Faith, the the 1689, and he says, Kiffin described baptism as the sacrament of spiritual birth and the Lord's Supper as the sacrament of spiritual nourishment and growth by which believers are spiritually fed. So think about baptism was like the, the entrance, right? And then the Lord's Supper is this, uh, this, this meal, this continuing nourishing meal, right, that, that we are to benefit by. So, uh, on your notes under, under baptism. So, I believe it is important that when we think of baptism, we should, we, it should be thought of primarily for the recipient, for the one being baptized. And Sam Waldron, uh, in his book on baptism, Makes a, makes a very accurate statement. He says, This is so because baptism is a covenantal transaction or ceremony between God and the individual. The several scriptural examples of baptism occurring in a private setting require this understanding of its significance. Right. So think with me for a second. Um uh, he cites uh, uh, two examples from the book of Acts. He, he cites the Ethiopian eunuch, right? Who was baptized, not in the setting of a church, but who was baptized, right, on, on the road while Philip was with him. Or think with me of the Philippian jailer who was baptized in prison, right? It was not in a church setting. But again, what it's emphasizing is that baptism, while, while it is a statement to the church, and a statement to the world, its primary significance is intended for the individual recipient, to the party or the individual baptized. And look with me on your notes. So um, I quoted section one, and and, uh, actually just a quick pause. Uh, Norm mentioned it would be helpful to cite some resources. So what I've done is on the back, I have cited some resources for additional reading or, or, or to take a look. So thank you, Norm, for the feedback. I always appreciate it. But one of the things that I put on there is the 1689, and just to read through those sections related to the um, uh, uh, baptism in the Lord's Supper, chapters 28 through 30. But I wanna read uh, chapter 29 on baptism and the first paragraph. If I can have a volunteer read on your notes um, paragraph one say paragraph, it's only a sentence, so don't be... uh, Yeah, Matt?
1: Baptism is an ordinance of the New Testament ordained by Jesus Christ to be unto the party baptized, a sign of his fellowship with him, and his death and resurrection, of his being engrafted into him, of remission of sins, and of giving up into, that is, of submitting themselves to God,
0: Excellent. Thank you. So when we think of baptism, right, and we we look at this definition here in 29.1, baptism is two things. Baptism is God's covenant commitment to me in a visible form, right, of my union with Christ. And it is also my oath and allegiance back to God in visible expression Right, and, and that's where the confession says of submitting themselves to God to live in, and walk in newness of life. In other words, baptism is a visible symbol of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ and its reception by faith. And not only is it a sign, but it is also God's visible seal that is meant to assure and comfort me of God's grace in Christ. The sign is pointing to the reality And the seal is God confirming the spiritual reality. Now, what are those things that are signified and sealed to us to be uh, reminders? So first, on your notes, it is a sign and seal of our union with Christ. Turn with me to Romans chapter 6. And I know we have spent a lot of time in this Sunday school in Romans chapter 6. And that is a good thing, because Romans chapter 6 is very, very helpful when we think about this. So Romans chapter 6, and if I can have a volunteer read verses 3 through 5. And as much as I'd love to just, let's just go exposit this text and spend 30 minutes here, we're not going to do that. So, um, but we did get some time in a previous lesson uh, that I encourage you. uh, It's always a good um, reminder. So when we think about Romans chapter 6, that baptism is a sign and seal of our spiritual baptism uh, with the Holy Spirit. It is a sign of our union with Christ through the Spirit, right? And, 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 and we talked about this. When we think of Romans 6, it not only refers to when it says that we've been baptized, right, in, in verse 3, like, you know, uh, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, what it's talking about is spirit baptism that is reflected in water baptism, right? We, we should think of it in that holistic picture, between the two of them. The sign, water baptism, and the thing signified, spirit baptism, or union with Christ. So then let's think, think with me for a minute about how this is a means of grace. So, in two ways. One, you are to think about this from the sense of a reminder. You are to look back on your own baptism. Right? That's what Paul is doing here. Right? In, in, in Romans chapter 6, where he's saying, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, we're baptized into his death. Look back at your baptism, right, which visibly in water where we were baptized, and that is pointing to a greater reality, and it is not only pointing to it, but it is confirming it. It's a way that is to help assure us in our faith that we truly do have union with Christ. But secondly, when we see someone else getting baptized, it is to be a visible reminder to us of our union with the Lord Jesus. And His promises have been kept and that we are one in Him. That we are no longer in Adam under our condemned state in Him, but that we are in Christ and have union and eternal life in Him. So it is to be a picture that the Spirit uses to internalize by faith and strengthen us of His promise to us of who we are in Him. So secondly, look with me. It is also a sign and seal of the forgiveness of sins, or the washing away of sins. Turn with me to Acts chapter 22. So, you know, one one, one book over. And while you're turning there, I'm just going to read a passage, and then we're going to look at Acts 22 together. As you're turning to Acts 22, verse 16, I'm going to read Ephesians 1, 7 where it talks about our union with Christ and forgiveness. It says, in him, that's in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So we see this relationship of our union to Christ and the forgiveness that we have in him. But as, as, as you've turned now to Acts 22, can I have a volunteer read verse 16? Acts twenty two sixteen. Okay, excellent. So notice that the sign is connected to the result of the thing signified, right? And, and we we see this in other texts, right? We looked at First Peter three last week. Uh, you know, uh, t- talking about baptism now saves you, not the removal of uh, dirt from the flesh, right? But the but the pledge or the answer uh, for a clean uh, for a clean conscience through the re- resurrection. Right, so we, we talked about this how how we can talk about the sign and the thing signified, right? Baptism and what it's pointing to the spiritual reality and the results that come from this reality, right? So what is the result that comes from this inner reality? Well, it's the forgiveness of sin, the washing away of sins. In fact, when we um, uh, when, when we look at in verse sixteen, where it says, uh, "Call there's a comma, right?" where it says uh, wash away your sins, comma, calling on his name. And uh, what's going on here is uh, when it says calling on his name, that's a participle. Uh, and a participle is just describing um, uh, what it says, uh, uh, wash away your sins, this command. And the way in which, so participles are, um, uh, think of like... Uh, Something that's like really elastic. Nothing comes to mind right now. But something like a, a, a plastic bag from public, right? Super elastic. Can bend in all kinds of places. So participles function like that, right? Where they can be used to um, qualify something in all kinds of ways. And what's going on here in verse 16, when it says wash away your sins, calling on his name. Well, how should we understand the relationship of these two, right? Is it uh, wash away your sins, um, and, and I think the best way for us to understand this, uh, which is common, and there's other reasons we could go into, if you've got questions, ask me later. Uh, when it says, wash away your sins, it should be understood instrumentally. Now, what does that mean? Well, just insert, well, instead of the comma, insert the word by. So let me, let me read it with you. Wash away your sins by calling on his name. So notice the similarity there. Between that and what we read in 1 Peter 3 last week, right? The, 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 the response back, the pledge uh, back to God, right, for a clean conscience. It's the same thing going on here, but it's with the result that comes, right? And that result is the washing away of sins. So, baptism is a spiritual picture of the forgiveness that we have in Christ. Now, I don't want to go into. Uh, like a, a major polemic session on, okay, why, why this is, you know, believer or confessor's baptism. Um, uh, uh, you know, um, so that, 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 we'll save that for another time. But just know that I think there's a really strong connection that the scripture places between the spiritual reality that is to take place in an individual, right? Um, uh, uh, repenting and believing the gospel, being given new spiritual life by the spirit, and then how that becomes signified in baptism. So again, baptism, if you will, is reminding us we are forgiven. We are washed clean, right? In a similar way that I've been washed with water and there's no longer dirt on me, so spiritually my soul no longer has the stain of sin because of the righteousness of Christ. I've been forgiven completely of all sins. So lastly, look with me. For our third point, that it is also a sign of our faith in Christ and our submission to him. It is the formalizing of our covenant relationship with Jesus. Uh, right, right, um, I'll give you a quick example. Um, I debated using this, but I'm just going to use it. Think of the example of marriage, right? Marriage is um, uh, vows that the husband and wife make to each other that then becomes symbolized, right, with tokens or signs with the ring, right? The ring formalizes that ceremonial, covenantal transaction, right, the marriage, but it's not the actual marriage itself. The marriage itself is the covenant and vow before God with each other, right? So in the same way, baptism functions in a similar purpose, a similar way. So, uh, and as we read from Romans chapter 6, I'll just read verse 4 again where where I think it points this out helpfully where it says we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death notice this purpose clause in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father we too might walk in newness of life. So Baptism then becomes a sign of this reality of the new life that we have in Christ and how it is to be lived out. So then, what I wanted to do is just end this section on baptism with an Orthodox catechism with question 78, which I thought, again, I'll just commend to you an Orthodox catechism from the standpoint... That it is, it is a very devotional way to learn and be encouraged with theology, right? The way that it asks the question and answers it. And I think you guys will see this as we look at question 78, the question and answer. So if I can have a volunteer read uh, question 78 and then read the answer as well, who would be willing? All right.
1: without great cause to this not only to teach us that as the filth of our body is purged by water so our sins also are purged by the blood and spirit of Christ, but much more to assure us by this divine token and pledge that we are as surely washed from our sins with the inward washing as we are washed by the outward and visible water.
0: Yes. Notice that at the end, right? I just thought that was so beautiful, but much more to assure us by this divine token and pledge, right? Just the same way that the filth of our body is gone in water, so our sins are gone. Brothers and sisters, let baptism continue to be a means of grace, right? As we are reminded of these realities of who we are in union with Christ and that we have been washed and forgiven by faith in him. So any questions or comments about what we've said so far about baptism and thinking about baptism as how it is an instrument that God uses to give us grace and strengthen us. And any questions or comments? All right. Let's keep going. Oh, Norm. Sorry Yeah, no.: You no. have a keyword in that paragraph. Yes.
1: Mm. Is when they do put a graph of a branch, the branch grows into the vine,
0: and, the, and this is a physical thing, Yes. and the vine grows into
1: the, the graph. It's not just like, okay, here's the vine, here's
0: Yes. The branch. Yes.
1: So this is a a very, very uh, poignant illustration of the spiritual reality that we uh, live, mm. right? By itself is absolutely nothing. Right. But the sap that flows from the vine yes. into that really unattractive branch is what generates the fruit.
0: Yes, it gives its by the vitality, its life. Yes.
1: Exactly. So engrafted to me is a very, very powerful word because I was able to see with my eyes the reality of what we just read in Romans six.
0: All right, that's excellent. So now on your notes, if you will, we can go to the next page on the lord's supper and as you're turning there i just wanted to say this uh this this last piece about baptism but specifically thinking about the means of grace and how it relates to the holy spirit that and i thought so ferguson captured this in his book and i thought he captured it really well that um not only does the spirit of christ affect these inward spiritual realities right like how how are we brought into union with christ it's through the spirit right as he Uh, Unites us to Christ by faith. Um, So he not only affects these inward spiritual realities, but then he gives us this outward external sign to help us understand how we are in Christ and he in us, right? So it's like he's giving us this picture. He's like, okay, people, we are thick and dull and sometimes things don't sit in quickly or immediately, right, where it's like, oh, I just picked that up, like, immediately, right? Um, unfortunately, that, that, as much as we want that to be the case, right, that's the ideal, it's, it's, it's generally uh, not, not as fast as we want it. And so he's giving us this outward picture, so it's like, oh, yes, that's the spiritual reality of what I have experienced, right? And I think that is a really beautiful thing because what it does is it helps us to get our eyes off ourselves, right? H- how do we become nourished and strengthened and assured? It's not by looking at ourselves, because we see a lot of sinful patterns and inconsistencies and weaknesses, right? It gets our eyes back onto the one who promised to us and made, made a covenant uh, uh, um, that, that we get to participate in through Christ. So the Holy Spirit not only does this inward work, but then also helps us to connect this external outward work and to bring it home and to strengthen us. So now, uh, on to the Lord's Supper. So now, as we consider the Lord's Supper, right, as, as, if you will, the the other sacrament in comparison to to baptism or, or a visible ordinance, it is a channel or means of God's grace to us through the Holy Spirit. Right, Like we said earlier, right? Um, uh, we, have, we have spiritual birth, and that's what uh, baptism pictured. And then uh, Lord's Supper pictures spiritual nourishment and growth by which we are spiritually fed. And as much as uh, I, I wish we had time just to like give more of a historical background to the Lord's Supper and some of the different views, uh, we're not going to be able to do that. Instead, what I wanted to do or, or focus on with the time that we have remaining is for us to think about how is the Lord's Supper a means of grace to us? How does the Lord use the Lord's Supper to strengthen, assure, and confirm us, confirm our faith? So there, there, there's two aspects that I want to bring out here on your notes. So the first is symbolic memorial or by symbolic remembrance. So turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians uh, talks the most about the Lord's Supper, and we're going to look at a couple key texts here. So, 1 Corinthians 11, and we'll look at verses 23 through 26. If I can have a volunteer read verses 23 through 26. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. Thanks, Tim. So notice this, right? Like it says in verse 24, do this in remembrance of me. Or in verse 25, do this as you often drink it in remembrance of me. The Lord's Supper or the Lord's Table is to be taken by faith as we remember Christ's broken body and his shed blood for us and for our sins. If you will, it is a symbol and a reminder of, of what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. And so we are to draw near to Christ as a result of this memorial. And so we are to be strengthened through through the symbols of the bread and the wine, the bread and the cup. But then secondly, it is also spiritual communion or spiritual fellowship. That we have present fellowship with the risen Christ through the Spirit through the Lord's table. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians 10 and we'll read verses 14 through 22. If I can have a volunteer read verses 14 through 22.
2: Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy?
0: Are we stronger than he? Excellent. So notice with me in verse 16, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? And then the end of verse 16, uh, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? And then notice with me in verse 18, um, consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? And then scroll down to verse 20, the end of verse 20. I do not want you to be participants with demons. In verse 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Paul is using the background of the sacrificial meal and Passover. And the one to whom the meal is sacrificed to, whether it's God or idols, it is with that one that you also have Fellowship with or communion with. There was confusion in Corinth. In fact, the whole chapter ten deals with the chapter uh, d- deals with idolatry, right? And uh, but but specifically, or I'm sorry, not, not not with idolatry. It deals specifically with uh, different issues relating to food, right? And the different contexts in which Christians should or shouldn't partake in food, spe- uh, with a special uh, revolving around uh, meat sacrifice to idols. And in verses 14 through 22, there was confusion in Corinth, and some of the strong Christians thought they could go on to a pagan sacrifice and eat the sacrificial meal and it not be an issue. Paul is correcting this, right? In verse 14, he calls it idolatry. You can't do both, right? In verse 21, it's one or the other. Instead, Christians are to partake of the Christian sacrificial meal, which is the true Passover meal, the Lord's Supper. Now, again, in this meal, it is not as though Christ is sacrificed in the Lord's Supper, right? That's the Roman Catholic misunderstanding. But it is a meal, right, that is related to the sacrifice of what Christ has accomplished, right? When we think of Passover, right, as as an example. In this meal, we commune and fellowship with the risen Christ and partake of his benefits of salvation through the Holy Spirit and faith. So in verse 16, the the cup and the bread are symbols by which the Holy Spirit and uh, uh, through faith, we, and then I'm going to use a couple translations, in the New King James says, we commune, or in the ESV, we participate, or in the New American Standard translation, we share in Christ at the Lord's table with all of his benefits, right? We share in his broken body, And is shed blood. In other words, in the meal, we are receiving from Christ presently his benefits for us by faith. And it is through the Holy Spirit that we are brought into communion or fellowship with the risen Christ himself and are thereby nourished in faith or strengthened in faith. in like manner to the Lord feeding us, right? if you were to think a bit, feeding us and giving us bread and the wine and strengthening us physically. Our bodies feeling stronger, right? If you were really parched or your body uh, felt very weak. In the same way that food does that, so through the symbols or signs, Christ is spiritually feeding us through the Holy Spirit by himself and all of his benefits that come from his broken body and from his shed blood. Now, let's slow down for a minute. <clears throat> right, when we think about the Lord's Supper as a means of grace, one of the things that we can feel or sense is we can sense our own weakness we can sense our inconsistency in our Christian walk. We can sense our own hypocrisy, or at times feel the weight of our sin, right, or guilt. Uh, this is this is a reality of living in the already and the not yet, right, where we're in one sense already with Christ, in another sense not yet. And these can be discouraging, right? These 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 can they can put a weight on the Christian life. Right? And, and we can sense a distance between us and the Lord right? In, in different times. Well, how does that relate to the Lord's Supper when we think about these discouragements, struggles, and difficulty? How does that relate to the Spirit and the Lord's Supper? Well, brothers and sisters, I believe that it has everything to do with the Lord's Supper. Because the Lord's Supper is one of the ways in which the Lord strengthens, assures, and comforts us that we truly are partakers of Christ and all of His benefits, right? All of it. Christ's broken body for us, right? Shed blood for us. Sins paid for, right? Because the discouragement we feel is... Man, is God really going to keep up His promise? I feel the weight of my sins. I feel feel the weight of my weaknesses, right? Will the Lord continue to be with me, right? And the Lord's Supper is this confirmation of His promise of all that Jesus has bought for us, right? They are signs and symbols that as we see them with our eyes... And as we taste them with our mouth, we then think in the same way as I now am worshiping and and communing with the Lord Jesus, that I too have been forgiven, that I know that He loves me, I know that I cannot be separated from Christ. All of these promises and all of these realities should come flooding to our mind as we draw near to Christ, right? God's wrath has been satisfied, and we become assured of this as we partake. So, brothers and sisters, let us eat and drink and be reminded of Christ and his death for us, and let us draw near to him by faith, as we commune with Him through the Spirit, and as we are strengthened, knowing again, right? How are we strengthened? We're not strengthened by looking at ourselves, right? If we look at ourselves, we will be discouraged. We will, um, we will sense our inadequacy. But instead, what is it doing? It's redirecting our faith. It's redirecting our faith to Christ. And He is the one that will sustain us to the end. And every time we partake of the Lord's Supper, It is the Lord not only confirming it by his word and promise, but is, like again, like we we brought up in the beginning, it's these extra, extra ways that the Lord is gracious to us to help weak, feeble people like us as I see this with my eye and taste it with my mouth spiritually. This is what is taking place in my heart and in my soul. Now... There's one other thing that I'd like to bring up as we think about the Lord's Supper as a means of grace. Now, I don't know what kind of tradition or background you come from. Uh, um, uh, I I can say, um, after becoming a Christian, there were times where I really struggled to take the Lord's Supper. Because I saw the Lord's Supper in a way that was so introspective, right? where it's like, okay, well... Do I, um, what, what's going on with every sin in my heart? And I'd feel the weight of every sin in my heart. And then think, well, I don't know if I've, if I've truly repented of all these, right? Have I, have I truly repented of, of, of this or that? And then I think, man, I, I do not want judgment on myself, right? And the Lord's Supper, in a, in a weird way, was almost this... Um, uh, where I would abstain from the Lord's Supper because I was afraid that I had not repented of enough of my sins and that there'd be some kind of judgment, right? And while I think it is good and proper for us when we look at 1 Corinthians 11 to know that we are to not partake of the Lord's Supper while we are uh, at odds and in conflict with a brother, right? Or a sister. The, but the Lord's Supper, right, is meant to be taken by us because we are always living... In a life of repentance, right? We will never have repented enough, right? In in a sense, to become worthy partakers because that's part of what the supper is to do. Part of what the Lord's table is to do is to strengthen us. It is for us to be assured and strengthened. Now, again, I'm not saying that a profane or irreligious person or someone who's not believing in Jesus should partake of the Lord's supper. That's that's not what I'm saying. But what what I'm cautioning us from is that we will miss out on the Lord's Supper as a means of grace to our life when the Lord's Supper becomes almost primarily a means of introspection and we, in, in effect, cancel out or, in practice, miss Christ because we're so busy looking at ourselves, right? So again, take that uh, in, in, in a way in which that the, the Lord's Supper is not to draw you inward, but it's to draw you away from yourself. And that is how your faith is strengthened because you see how great a Savior you have. And that happens by the Holy Spirit bringing these spiritual realities to bear uh, through our mind and in what we taste and in, and in what we see. So so I wanted to, uh, um, um, uh, by, by those two examples, remind us how the Lord's Supper is a, is a sign of, and a seal of the spiritual reality that the Lord is doing um, to us as we abide in Christ and and He in us. So, any any questions or any comments um, or any thoughts in regards to what we've covered as we think about the Lord's Supper, in particular, about how the Lord's Supper is a means of grace that God gives us to strengthen us and to draw us to Him. Yeah.
1: I, I was really
0: like sometimes to the table I said sorry about that or Yes. To this number, yes. That was the time, I need to speak, right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's like it's like you know, you need to be assured, like, no, you are forgiven, come and take right? And then let your faith be nourished. Like, no, Christ stands for me. He's not condemned me. He's not letting go of me, right? And this is, this is like, hey, like, you know, for us, week in, week out, this is like, okay, let that come, come to bear to mind. Yeah, I remember in, in one sense, the the Lord's Supper was like, in in one sense, I didn't want to take it, you know, where you're just like, and and, and that was unhealthy, right? Because you're like, oh man, I just, I don't, I don't know, you know? And that's not the way it's intended. It's, it's intended to strengthen us. Yeah, to be a comfort to us.
1: I remember Pastor Carter saying at one point, worship is all of me. Hmm.
0: Right, right, right. Yes. But also the opposite is when we're slowed down on ourselves, then, like you said, the focus is not on the Lord giving us His bread. Yes. yes.
1: Yes. Good old
0: me, you know. Like, yes. I, I, I have good intentions, I have good
1: um, goals, but I can't Yes. And uh, to finish with this, uh, somebody said that perseverance is getting up one more time than you fall. So to persevere, you have to repent. And we are stopped I mean, when we got saved, it's because we fell short. Yes.
2: Yes,
0: yes. It's not like you're saved by grace and then perfected right through the flesh. Yes, yeah, so if we still need
1: grace, obviously, it's because we fall short
0: Yes, so yes.
1: That's why we're called constantly to go before the throne of grace and mercy, so that we may obtain uh, grace in time of need. And for being in mm. time of need, is not, oh, now I'm in need. No, I am about 24-7 in yes. grace. Yes, yes all
0: the time. Mm. That. No, that's excellent. Arnie um,
3: I think the the word participant share is is very helpful. Mm. Uh, we have you might have a tendency to look at what Christ did on the cross as an observer. Mm. And he did it and then apply it applied to us. Yes. But the word participant and then the words of Romans six also it gives it a little bit more hope. You know? mm. We were there with, with Him, we mm-hmm. were participating in His death and in His resurrection and uh, in contrast, you know, I, I sometimes hear it uh, said vicariously, right. mm. but I think that pulls short a little bit. Because vicariously, you, you just of imagine the experience but it actually applied,
0: applied to us. Yes. So reality, you know, that yes, is, yes. It's actually a reality that we participated in the cause. Right, right, our union how with him, is, yes. yes. You know? Yes. So to me, that, that, was, that gave it
3: a little bit more uh, explanation as to how does this union, you know, uh, I guess, uh, in reality, yes. uh, you know, form that we can understand. Right, so right. The Lord's Supper, you know, when we participate in the Lord's Supper, we're participating. we are there with Him on the cross. It's a, it's a memorial, it's a reminder that, you know, we are victors only if we have the a clear understanding of that sacrifice. If we remember our sins, we, if we remember our guilt, we should remember also that He died on that cross. Yes.
0: That we were crucified with Christ, to use that union language. Yes. I
3: think those words, if
0: we reflect on them, it is very helpful. Yes. I know it's very... Right. Yeah, well, and I I think that shows, too, the relationship where we have union with Christ and then communion with him, right, that comes out of it. Or we we think about those terms like abide in Christ and he abides in us, right? That that vital relationship of life that we have in him. Yeah, absolutely. And, And how does that happen? It happens through the spirit. Right, it's the spirit that uh, by by which Christ dwells in us. Right? Yeah, we have that communion.
3: <laughs>
0: Don't make me regret it, Norm.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, or, or, or maybe not come from a, like entrance, but continue. Right? Continue and be nourished in this communion right yeah let this be strengthened yeah exactly exactly yeah well um all i want to show you guys so again i put some resources on there there's some really helpful resources and i also put the second london confession where it talks about uh, the lord's supper and then and again i I know i've said an orthodox catechism a couple times i just love what it said on question 79 and again because it's meant to be devotional and how it functions as this sign to remind us and to strengthen us right and to make this comparison that we'll have even greater assurance of what God has done for us in Christ. So let's go ahead. We'll pray and then then we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you again for this time to be instructed. We pray that you through the spirit would submit us even more unto Christ with joy as we see all the things that he has procured and gotten for us by his broken body and by his shed blood for us and for our salvation. We pray that you would strengthen all of us by your Spirit, even now, in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.